South African Black Woman in Law is hosting us today. Very glad to be here. See the numbers are increasing slowly. started getting a question or two. For those of you that don't know me, my name is Lynette Pillay. I'm an advocate. I practice in Pretoria. I was previously an attorney about seven years to eight years. I've been practicing now as an advocate about 10 years. It's quite a journey. Um, I completed my law degree in 1999. So when I was in standard nine, which should be your grade 11 now, we had our first democratic elections on the 27th of February. Um, hello, Aisha. Thank you. And thank you for inviting me to South African Black Women in Law. It's quite an impressive organization you have. And I think we need more people like you, your executive and your members in the country so that we can appreciate and bring awareness to the plight of the struggles that we have in law highlight the freedoms and the gains we need to focus on that we received uh, and notionally celebrate on 27th April of every year. So I say notionally because every day that we live is actually a day of freedom since then. 26 years, think about the phrase born into freedom. And um, to only be 26 years if you've been born into freedom. Sorry, my laptop's making a sound. I'm just going to put it on silent. Mute it. So I want to start with a question that is everywhere today. What does Freedom Day mean to you? And thank you for the question. Freedom to me is celebrating the rights we get to exercise that we have in our Bill of Rights in our Constitution, or that comes from our Constitution. When we speak about our Constitution, it's, it's really a piece of legislation that is one of the founding blocks of our freedom. And the Bill of Rights is just one chapter in an entire act in a piece of legislation, but it captures what our fundamental rights are. People speak about freedom to do as you please. It's not freedom to do as you please. To me, it's a celebration of freedom within limitations where we respect others. So I don't have freedom to go and speak to someone in any manner that I please. I can't practice racism. I can't take freedom to the extent that it means infringing on someone else's rights in a manner 
that is just not within the limitations that we are provided with. Now, I've said, I started my law degree two years into freedom. And when I started, um, it was a whole new world to me. You saw different races, you saw different cultures. I am not sure by 1996 when I started my degree, just how few white people I had seen before in my life. It was overwhelming. It's unbelievable the exposure. I was exposed at that stage, for example, the uh, LBQTI movement was not what it is today. In those days it was not open. Um, and today when you go to university, it's probably a lot more open. But in 1996, what I did see was more people of color and more people being treated equally. And even back then, what you had was a separation amongst us that you could see if you looked properly and deeply where you have the racial groups sitting separately. I think it's still a problem we have. Um, I think it's still a huge problem. We've, I think it was perhaps a year or two ago where there was a video of a school. And I don't want to talk about the merits, but I think it was preschool children where you saw separation. Um, I think you still see it. I think you still see it in community in general hoping that we are seeing it less and less um, the concept of being friends and having closeness with people of separate races be here any longer I started off my degree a young democracy and in my view we are still a young democracy I often hear people talking about 25 years after our elections, 25 years into democracy, quarter of a century, if you put it in another way. But 25 years is not much. In 1652, you had the first colonizers come to our country. And this was just a stop on the way to India to get spices. That's all we were. But what did we become? We became the Cape Colony. And the reason I know this is not that I went and researched it to come speak to you today. It's because I had no choice. That was the history syllabus that I had to learn in primary school. My godson, I think, is now in grade 11. Sorry, Mohammed Ziad, if I've got that wrong. Um, and a few years ago, I was helping him with his homework. It was the same thing there. And I remembered the dates. I remembered some of it, not great detail. But it surprised me that that is in our history books with less information about the changes in democracy. I hope that it's changed now. I think it is changing. I think 
what we've come to know now is President Nelson Mandela. Um, but there is more to it than that. There is so much more to the history of our country. If you look at it from 1652 to our first elections was 342 years. That's the history we have to wipe out. The history that we have to wipe out and has not happened in our 26 years. If you look at America, which you know everybody speaks about as the world power, um, 45th, pre 45th President Donald Trump, President Donald Trump is there today. 45 presidents, the 44th in around 2007 or 2009 was the first black president the first South Africa we've done better we've done much better so if it takes 44 presidents before our people are able to vote in a black person I think South Africa has not done badly. Um, when we look at our democracy, I say it's a young democracy. And I don't doubt, and I think we all know there's been a lot of corruption in our country. It's something that was perhaps hidden from us, not accepted by us for a long time can tell you I'm a person who for a long time was guilty of blinding myself to corruption both in the private and the public sectors by public officials by ministers deputy ministers director generals by CEOs in the private sector because we've wanted to see the good but as time has gone on we've seen the difference and one of the places that you see the difference is in the past, I would say, 10 years in South Africa. We have a constitutional bench of nine, well, 11, but nine at any, normally in a sitting, nine to 11. The first cases that appeared or that came to the constitutional court, in the first 10 to 15 years, there was not many of them that focused primarily on socio-economic rights. And the development of the law has changed um, with, the, with this change in, in our jurisprudence. Now you have challenges to the public protector. You have challenges to government where they have failed in our provincial high courts. You have challenges to maladministration in municipalities. You have a court dealing with that. You have a oversight. We have our separation of powers. But at the same time, we presently have what I believe is a strong bench that is no longer afraid to challenge authority 
pre-1994, how many times, how many applications did you have of someone going to court and challenging the apartheid regime, a legalized system that celebrated not celebrating human dignity and freedom. How many times, if we listen to Nelson Mandela, President Mandela's speech when he was convicted, there were plans afoot to avoid it going to the media. And he chose to risk his life to publish this, to grow, to grow awareness. You find lots of South Africans today saying, I didn't know back then. It was hidden from some. Many chose not to see. Many chose not to see that the person that was their domestic worker was a human being. I remember following the first years, the end of apartheid, there was an African lady who walked from house to house in the community in Chatsworth. And I'm from what was previously an Indian community. And she was selling clothing and she came home and not exposed to people of color. There would be racist comments made when you spoke about African people. She was selling clothing and when she came, my mother spoke to her. And when she spoke to her, the woman's son and husband had been killed in political violence. She became a very good friend of my mother's. Every time she came to Chatsworth, she visited. And that was shortly after the party. But what I do know is that even then, people looked at her strangely for having an African friend who came to visit. Not who came to sell clothing, but a woman who ultimately came to visit a friend. Today, it's not unusual. And that to me is what democracy is about. Um, and that to me what is what freedom is about. Celebrating our rights, our rights to association within reasonable limits today our right to freedom of movement is not what it was a month and a half ago. I don't know when it will go back to what it was. Um, I really don't. If you look at the media reports, if you look at what's coming out from Professor Karim, from our minister, it's not likely to be before September, months. The lockdown is being not quite lifted, but lightened to degrees. And when you look at media reports, you see much more legislation coming because of challenges, challenges to legislation. And as I said, pre-1994, how many people were able to approach a court without being victimized. How many people firstly thought to approach our courts? How many people had the 
strength to approach the court. We're able to take on the challenge and the fear that they would be killed, the fear that they would be victimized, the fear that you would fall of the seventh floor of John Foster building in Johannesburg. And today I can say, I believe the fear is not as great. I don't believe the fear is not there, but the development of the law in South Africa has changed drastically so much so that I'm proud to say I'm a part of it. I'm embarrassed to say we're not where we should be. South African black woman in law, when I looked at the title, I assumed it was just about women. I was invited by one of the members of the executive who is male. And so that's not to say that I haven't been invited by the entire executive, but my contact person is a male in the executive of an organization that holds a title that fights for the rights of everyone and garners support. In fact, it doesn't garner support. It has natural support from our brothers. The system in South Africa is not as changed as much we would like. I'm an advocate um, at the Pretoria Bar. Sometime last year, perhaps earlier this year, I think it was, there was the NPA that appointed a team of senior councils. That's some of the most senior members of our profession, of the legal community, to be involved in the prosecution arising from state capture. The team consists of three white males, one African male in relation to senior councils. Now in relation to junior councils, I understand that there, excuse me, was a greater spread and divide. And we question, and we are able to question why we are in a position where there wasn't consideration or there was inadequate consideration. In my view, a lack of rationality by the powers that be, by people that lead major institutions, by an institution that's led by a female, a female who seems to be doing a wonderful job and a female who just well delegated some of her tasks to another female or the task of appointing the team was delegated to another female who again didn't think that let me appoint females in the senior leaders and the reasons provided to me are excuses let me give you one of them one of them was why, sorry, was that these seniors were appointed because they were working at reduced rates. Well, no one has told me which female senior has been approached that said, I'm not prepared to work at a reduced rate. 
is it a lack of experience no one has told me and i've spoken to the cheho the cheho monche one of our senior counsels in pretoria it's former prosecutor prosecutor no one approached her we knew nothing of this before it was publicized in the media nothing and then we have excuses like you were not willing to reduce your rent these people were in the matter before so they have we suppose not institutional knowledge but factual knowledge why were women senior counsels not given that factual exposure before why are you at a point where there is this lacking why is there only one african male in the team why is there a team of only four why do attorneys not know that the state attorney briefs attorneys at times why do our soes oh that's our state owned enterprises and state owned companies why do we put out tenders and have panelists appointed and then i hear i'm on the panel in the past 5 years i've never received an instruction in the past 5 years i've received two or three instructions while you have other people that i instructed regularly it's not a situation where there is insufficient legal work in this country that all practitioners cannot survive i understand in 1996 when i started my degree we were told by our lecturers it's you know the market is becoming saturated there's more and more attorneys or advocates or people with llb degrees um to some degree a discouragement to do the llb degree but the work is not as limited as it suggested in an office where an attorney is hamstrung by running a thousand files for the state and doesn't discharge his or her duties the way he'd like to not because he's not capable but because he doesn't have the time you cannot tell me that there is insufficient work for our practitioners my friends should not have to say i'm worried i can't pay my child school fees sorry it touches me because it's my friend and children i know it's coming from someone who has spent years studying educating herself paying for her law degree herself to be approaching 40 to worry about your children so to me the legal fraternity has come a long way because in 1995 i'm sure there are more people that said that 
but in 2020 there shouldn't be people saying that as much as you see it now I'm sorry it um, I really didn't plan for this the friend I'm speaking about is an attorney she's practiced for a number of years she's in and out of my home she's African female nobody looks at it as being odd or stares when she enters my home it's better than 1994 but it's not better in all that we do um, I want to give you some of the statistics that I picked up uh, that, that we have spoken about in some of our groups the appointment of senior councils 13th March this year 24 20 out of the 24 males 4 out of the 24 female 84% versus 16% African females so out of the 4 1 3 white females so you then have let's go to the males 20 males appointed Indian and colored 0 African 8 that's a third Fem African female 17 sorry 4.17% white male 12 out of 24 50% now why do you have that if you think about where we've come from we've come from a time where we had Bantu education where we had schools to various races that were not equal so if you in 1994 where 21 years old you'd be 47 today I hope I've got my math right but if you had a poor education at the age of 21 if you were coming from where we were sorry I'm, my eyesight is not great so I'm trying to read um, the comments as I go along 47 if you started off at 21 and you started off on the back foot what could you have done what could you have done for us to now say that you've had 25 years and you've had 26 years and everything in the country should have been fixed up things definitely should be better than it was but it is definitely not what it should be and we need to appreciate that we are a growing and a young democracy and that we are getting there. Now, if you look at the numbers of attorneys, of the numbers of advocates, you will find jaded pictures. <clears throat> As we go along, we have a greater pool because you didn't really have black graduates pre-1994. If the first time a person of color was admitted or sorry if the greater numbers increased after 1994 
they would only received their degrees in 1998-1999. You'd then do two years of articles, taking you to about 2020. Have children before the age of 20. So the people who received their degrees coming out of the democracy are only now reaching the age where you would ordinarily um, where you'd ordinarily start having your children where you'd use the degree and the legal education you've received over the past 20 years to pay for your children to get that education if you look at the numbers in schools you have our private schools and your public schools who's in our public schools and who's in our private schools and it's not the fault of the white student in the school, but it's the fault of apartheid. It's the fault of a system, that legal system that is different from today. And that is the change for me in the legal profession. It starts off with changing the legislation. And as you go, there is more and more legislation that is challenged. At one stage, you had to seek a special prayer as a person of color to be admitted as an attorney or an advocate. You actually had to put in a court order. That's what I want. I want to, despite being a person of color, despite it being in breach of legislation, I want to be admitted. Or being contrary to to legislation um, I'm not quite sure whether it was the Immorality Act I can't quite remember um, now look at South Africa I drew, drew a parallel earlier to America and the reason I do that is because they were the first I've just got this down George Washington the first US president 1789 remember we were colonized from 1652 and I want to speak about women and whether women in South Africa have made a difference and have been part of this movement I'm not sure if anyone watched the movie Kratoa I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly first time I heard of this amazing woman was in a movie not something um, and I doubt something children are actively educated on so we all learn about President Nelson Mandela but how many women sorry how many people know of Kratoa let me tell you about her she was a koi woman she was taken by Jan van Riebeek when she came in, well, when he, he arrived in 1652, not sure precisely which year she was taken. She was 11 or 12 years old. She was taken as a slave, 11 or 12 years old. She learned the language of the Dutch. Now, she knew the language vernacular of the Khoi she then became, as she grew older, uh, 
means of communication. The first war between the Dutch and the Khoi, she's the one that resorted. How many lives did she save by stopping a war? And we don't celebrate her. But today we can, today we must educate each other. Language, just by learning language. But you know, I am tired of people in relation to language seeing or taking language to be a measure of intelligence. It is not. She may not have spoken the best English. Many people today don't speak the best English. But a person who speaks five languages, I think that's something to be celebrated. The person who speaks three or four languages is to be celebrated. And going back to Kratoa, she was actually also the first woman who entered into a marriage with what was then called a settler. She was sent to Robben Island as a prisoner after the death of her husband. Um, she gotten involved in liquor, in prostitution, in a society she didn't fit in to. She was rejected because she was forced out of her own family. And she became, what would be the phrase we use? She was ostracized for being coy in one culture and in another she was ostracized for not fitting in because she was living with the Dutch. Um, and the point of all of this is we're not there any longer. We are not, you're not ostracized any longer for having cross-cultural relationships. But I must say, people still do sometimes stay, quite often, but not like before. Um, but let's go to her being banished to Robben Island. She was banished to Robben Island because she died in 1674. So it was sometime in the 50s or 60s. And Nelson Mandela, President Mandela, our ministers, our former presidents, were sent to the same place three centuries later for that to exist three centuries later and for now for us to say this must be a remembrance I've been to Robben Island only once and uh, the feeling you get when you're there it's just a reminder it's a reminder of how much we've changed you think about this long trip where I get motion sickness I go up top of the boat. Everyone in those days was pushed in the bottom. He didn't get to have his valor. Um, but you were forced. Sorry, let me come back to the parallel I've drawn with America. And the, one of the reasons I've done it other than the lateness of their first black president. It's also for us to look at Michelle Obama. 
the first lady or the former first lady. She's a Princeton graduate. She's a Harvard graduate. She graduated for, from what I would think was their school in 1981. She started at Princeton in, I think it would be 1982. And this is what she said. She said her teachers dissuaded her from studying. Um, they were, they warned her that she was setting her sights too high. And one of the things she spoke about was how she would not be asked for her opinion, but she would be asked what her brother's opinion was. Um, when she went to Harvard, there was a roommate of hers who asked to be moved to another room. It was refused, but that was the request made in 1988, just four years before our first elections. And what she says is, this is a quotation from her, education her gave her opportunities beyond what she imagined. And one of the things she speaks about, and in fact it was a friend that told me this, is imposter syndrome. Where you join a society and you think, I feel like an imposter. I have my LLB degree, but I feel like I don't fit in. And I feel like this is not home. We're coming to a stage in the legal community. Thank you, Rihanna, for teaching us it's not fraternity. We've come to a stage where in the legal community, it's becoming more comfortable. You don't have imposter syndrome. Or, well, you don't have it as much as you used to before. I felt like an imposter. There's still times now when I feel like an imposter, and not just in the legal field, but in general conversations that I have where I see the distinct difference in my education. And I can see it's because I've come from what's a former House of Delegates school. Um, I was told, just, sorry, I just want to go back to Michelle Obama. This is a woman with a doctorate in law who says she suffered with imposter syndrome. If you are a person who's not had the opportunity to educate yourself because of a lack of funds, how are you going to be feeling? As a person with a Bachelor of Law degree, I struggle. I tell you, I finished my Bachelor of Law degree in 1999. In the year 2000, I could not find articles. I did law school. I did, started my master's, never finished it. But I started it because well, I was lucky I got a scholarship. Um, and well, to some degree, a percentage scholarship and I lectured for a bit and the following year I got articles because I took the horters, I sat in front of the computer and I went one by one through every law firm that I could find and I emailed them and I really think I was lucky to get it because in 2020 
you see LinkedIn profiles and you see, sorry, people on LinkedIn saying, I can't find articles. I've been without articles for a year, for two years, for three years. I've got my degree. What's the purpose? One of the reasons they can't find articles is because legal firms don't get enough work to hire candidate attorneys. Some people have come to the bar because they couldn't get articles. There's nothing wrong with coming to bar, the bar for that, for, for any reason. But where your options are limited because of financial constraints and societal constraints, I say we have to go a lot further. But like I've said, we've come quite far. Um, I'm sorry I'm not responding to your comments, my eyesight is not what it should be and I've got to sort of lean into to read um, I received some questions from uh, members of, of this Facebook group and I want to just go through them the first is how equal is South Africa it's not equal at all if someone with a four-year degree can struggle it's not equal My friend is voicing her opinion here. She says it's as equal as it is unequal. To me, it's not equal. It is better than the equality we had in 1994. But it's not the equality I want to see in five years' time when the next group of people who started their LLB degrees or their Bachelor of Law, um, sorry, their BA or BCom degrees moving towards law. I want to find in five years' time someone can apply for articles and there will be firms who have money to appoint them. There will be firms that will not say it is necessary for you to have a car for you to get articles here, which excludes to me a large percentage of law graduates. Just And people are different. I did my articles in what was then known as a white firm. My principal hired me after receiving the email. And I think I was fortunate that it was at a time where he required a candidate attorney. He asked me if I had a driver's license. I did not. I couldn't afford to get one. You can't afford the lessons. So he told me, I'll pay for your lessons. So I'm not one who says and goes after white people in our country as being unfair. Everyone is progressive. I believe my principal was progressive to pay for my driving lessons, to pay for my driving test, to allow me to go for it more than once when I failed, to allow me to drive his Audi when I as a child had as a major goal in my life that I thought would be difficult to achieve, that I would one day be able to get my license and one day be able to own a car. And there's lots of things that I'm thankful for. One of the things my principal said to me is every day you will sit with me and you will tell me what your lesson for the day is. And of course with practice we all know that doesn't happen. 
but he taught me that you must educate yourself and you must look for lessons that you learn from life. So my principal's name was Vernon O'Connor. Um, I think someone asked that and I thought that might have come up as a WhatsApp message to me. Um, have we corrected the wrongs of the past? Some of it yes, some of it no. Um, a long way to go. What are your memories of 1994? My memory of the 27th 27 April 1994 was prior to this my mother engaging in long discussions with the neighbor about what time they were going to vote whether they had their identity books uh, how long they were going to stand in the queues and my memory is of her leaving at the time I could not vote so she went on a home this the school we voted in or she voted in was two doors away excuse me um and she went with the name and she came back after such a long time and when you're younger a long time is a lot longer than it is to an adult um but that's my memory of 27 April 1994 i also remember watching the news and um seeing nelson mandela president mandela cast his vote seeing other people cast their votes i also remember a huge debate and i'm not sure if my siblings remember this um one of my brothers steven he turns he turned 18 i think it was in july of 1994 the big debate was whether he could vote and there was this desire to have as many people vote as was possible and um one of the things i remember um after is that every elections my mother wanted to vote because unlike me she truly experienced a party and i'm not saying she experienced it more than others but she experienced it in a way that i could never understand um given the opportunity to change anything in the constitution what would it be You know there's this debate about whether the right to land in the constitution should be changed whether there's room to argue in the present constitution um that you can have land distribution that's more fair just in our country 70 I think it's more than 70% 72% of the land is owned by whites to unfair distribution that that I absolutely agree with the the history of south africa is that people of color you had the central cities and the main points um where white people lived and on the outskirts you'd have people of color the domestic workers who would come in they'd have to travel a distance they'd have to pay taxi fare use up most of the money they earned in just getting to work still the position today if you look at pretoria how many people come from areas that are further out to work take the bus at 5 a.m. to get to work at half past 7 at 8 um i don't and for that reason i would say that to make redistribution of land easier i would i would change the clause that that relates to land um what are your hopes for the country i think i've expressed that 
my hopes are to be where we should be to not have any person face imposter syndrome to have every person be able to pay their child school fees get the best education um without being worried that my child's going to be expelled I can't afford to pay school fees this month um you know what's my greatest hope for the country <laughs> sorry it's it's not just this is just one of the basics that we come to a time where there isn't a single pit toilet in this country that we come to a time where no one dies because they fall into a toilet your my regrets and the things not done in our country I think my regret is that I didn't have political awareness younger when I was younger I really didn't um what I do remember is that my eldest brother's name is Nelson and I do remember that someone once pre probably pre 1989 or 1988 called him Nelson Mandela and there was this used thing of don't 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 use that name because of the fear of simply using the name Nelson Mandela and i don't think the person meant it in any bad way i think it's like uh you say leonardo and you go leonardo da vinci leonardo di caprio so and having heard that i still didn't have political awareness and it came and when i went to university and i saw these differences and I had never seen as many white people in one place. I had never seen as many African people in one place. I often say the only white people I knew before I reached university was the nurses that came to school to give us those injections. Really that's that was my exposure to white people. And my mom who was a machinist, there's a picture at home um where she was with her her white employer. I didn't know So my regrets are that there are people like me that are there and that there are still people who are not aware. It's in relation to the rhetoric we have in our country where black people there's just a distinction in how we speak where what many of you and many of us called disabled people. And my friend Etienne says to me he's not disabled, he's differently abled. But that's the rhetoric we have where a word devalues a person just because of something that's a part of them. Um and sorry, regrets things no How has the transition from pre-94 to post-94 affected the legal practitioner with regard to the freedom of practice as a uh legal practitioner for Africans, Indians and Colors? I think it's improved greatly. Um Nelson Mandela started the first black firm, a black law firm in the country. They then went on to join Oliver Tambo as a um partner. but i would say even in 1994 the number of law firms of color was much less than it is today and the number of law firms 
where people of color uh, were single practitioners because they couldn't because they just wouldn't get into the big firms was a lot lower and the number of people people of color in what was formerly our perhaps to some degree some firms that are still largely white um, I think that's that's been a huge difference the fact that you can go to court in the Western Cape I'm not sure if <coughs> many of you know this you'll find in the Western Cape unlike here in Gauteng that they robe in their chambers the advocates and they walk to court and the history of that is that there was an advocate of color um, who was not permitted to robe in the high court because it was only for white people it's now become the tradition in Cape Town I think in Cape Town today you'd have the option of going to court I've, I've appeared in that court and I've robed in court to me it was just strange sorry it's, it's called robing rooms um, these days we don't have much robing rooms in our court I think the labor court may be the only court we have seen one cutting and I think in Durban but the point I'm making is that we now have freedom to robe in court as a person of color it's a simple game but its value is amazing um, do you think that there's been transformation in terms of accommodating female legal practitioners this is unconscious bias I saw this question I thought what a well-intentioned question the question uses the word transformation and accommodating female legal practitioners sorry I don't mean to be offensive to the person who who you gave me that question um, but the point is that women are not accommodated black people are not accommodated we are competent and we deserve our place where we are and we deserve where where we are not where we should be we deserve to improve and to come to a place that is deserved. Um, so if a question is whether I think there is transformation in relation to female legal practitioners, yes, I think there is, but not what it should be in the same way as it's not what it should be for pe black people in general. You see lots of games in relation to black males, not as much in relation to female practitioners um, and even there you know go back to the figures I mentioned earlier 24 males sorry 20 out of 24 people appointed as senior counsel on 13th March this year 20 of them 84% were men it goes back to our history it's it's not simply that they are not competent women it's that they may be inexperienced women it is that women are given divorce work it's that women are not given corporate work I started practice and I don't my principal was a law firm that did in corporate law and employment law and he granted me exposure to both and I was fortunate in that way but as I went along I fell into employment law now, I've been at the bar for 10 years and it's not very long ago perhaps five years 
into practice. But I got my first corporate matter, first insolvency matter, five years in. And remember that I did my articles in 2000 and I did insolvency law. For 15 years, I didn't get a matter in insolvency law. I don't consider myself to be a senior practitioner, but I'm also not a very junior practitioner. And if someone in, if I'm in this mid-level, I can tell you it's not that I'm not competent, it's that I'm inexperienced. And if you give me more time, and if you give me more exposure and experience, then I will improve. And I'm not now what I was five years ago in my knowledge and the practice of commercial law. So, yes, there's been transformation in relation to females. Hopefully, not hopefully. Let us, South African black women in law, I see is a lot of youngsters, LLB students. I challenge you to change that. You must be the person that gets an insolvency matter and works on it does not turn it away because you don't have the experience you go and you ask a colleague don't just ask female colleagues because there's this perception that males sometimes don't want to help us that's not true males are our brothers they are not foreigners to us they have the experience and you draw on their knowledge and their experience draw on the knowledge of everyone um, I think I might be out of time, but let me just round up by saying I give a general challenge to all of you um, to, to change and improve our country because we were not where we were, but we are not where we want to be. This nation of non-compliance, this rhetoric of non-compliance please change it this rhetoric of not being aware not educating yourselves and not educating others if I see a grammar error from a friend in a document I don't necessarily I would point it out to her in, in a group but I tell her I'm not being offensive but this is where this is not the British English we use in South Africa. You don't laugh at a person whose English is not equal to your English or whose English is not the British English we're supposed to practice. These memes and these videos where you mock people who not by error. Look, we'll make fun of people who make errors in their speech. That's people of all colors that do that but where you mock a person because their English is not the best English. That's actually to me racism. Don't mock, educate. So my, sorry I've gone on a bit, my um, challenge is to educate each other and to bring us to where we need to be. Thank you so much to um, South African black woman in law and to my brothers and sisters for inviting me and for hosting I hope I've 
given a perspective or a different perspective to view it might be a, a jaded perspective but it's jaded because it's it's what I see it's what I experience um, and it's what I've lived it's what I hoped to be a part of changing and you can only learn from experience so just like I started off being unable to drive before a white man got me to where I need to be before he educated me so I've, I've lost my train of thought educate each other no matter who you are I hope you have enjoyed it <laughs>